Hi, and welcome to the Christian Fundamentals Foundations course. As we journey through these lessons together, my hope is that your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ will find meaningful expression and lead you on to maturity and fruitfulness in your walk with Him. I trust that this lesson will guide and encourage your heart. Tonight we're going to be covering the final lesson of our Foundations course. Um, and kind of what, what, what this course has is, is done is it's really kind of gone quite methodically through the foundational doctrines, which we're going to just touch on briefly again tonight. And what this lesson is really all about is, in my opinion, like, like a springboard. It's to, you know, Paul tells us to move on beyond these things. These things are important, they're necessary, they're good, but there also comes a, play, a season in our development where we need to move on from them. And really what I'm hoping to do tonight is, is set in your heart a desire to really move on in your relationship with God. Um, as I've said in the second sentence of the purpose of this lesson, God desires that disciples progress to a state of spiritual maturity whereby the love, life, and nature of Christ are manifest in and through their lives. So let's gain some context. Um, now, our foundational scriptures, as we know, come from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. But I actually want to start in the previous chapter and put the words that are written there into just a slightly broader context. And so you can read with me. It's in your notes. We're going to read starting from Hebrews 5, verse 12. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of only milk is unskilled in word of, not of righteousness and is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age who, and here's the key, by reason of use have had their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. And that's the title of this lesson tonight. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Jumping to verse 11, the author says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, this is a real mouthful and it's a wonderful portion of scripture. But let me just first put to you what, what they mean when they say, let's move on to perfection. Our idea of perfection is that we never do anything wrong. We never say anything wrong. We've got these halos that need a little bit of polishing every day. But the, the biblical idea of the word perfect comes from the Greek word teleotis, and it means to be whole. It means to be mature, uh, complete in your faith. In other words, not lacking or falling short. So it, it, in other words, faith, and if you follow the train of thought through that portion of scripture, the faith has come to maturity where it's been worked at, it's been exercised, made mistakes along the way, learned along the way, and grown to a place where it is able to sustain, uh, sustain Christ-likeness and the life of faith in the believer. The book of James, in chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, says this, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Yo, how easy is that, James? 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. In other words, long-suffering, the ability to suffer for a long time. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So, in other words, there's a work that needs to be completed in your life, in my life, that brings us to a place of maturity, of completeness, of wholeness, that the Bible calls perfection. Um, and, and this is a journey. This doesn't just happen through a prayer. It doesn't happen through the laying on of hands. It happens as we are faced with situations in life that are difficult. We are faced with ourselves, our shortcomings, our weaknesses. We're faced with the shortcomings and weaknesses of those around us. We're faced with things that are not fair, things that are painful, things that are difficult. And through the process of dealing with those in um, an abiding, intimate relationship with God, we learn his heart in the various circumstances. My daughters are currently learning how to swim. They go for swimming lessons. And my, my nine-year-old is now, you know, she's done crawl, she's done backstroke and breaststroke. My, my, my little six-year-old is learning how to do backstroke. Today was the first time she did backstroke. And so it was all awkward and limbs all over the place. Um, and and the, the wonderful thing is when she got out and my older child was then having her lesson and she was doing the crawl, the freestyle, she says, is Leah doing belly stroke? Uh, <laughs> which made perfect sense when she's just been doing backstroke on her back. So that must be belly stroke. What does that show me? It shows me, you know, she doesn't know what the right names are. She doesn't know the, all the right strokes yet. But my other daughter, who's had more experience, understands more about these things. And if she continues, she could, you know, just how, however far she wants to take that, it's up to her. But the point is the same is true of you and I in our Christian walk. There's things we've learned how to deal with along the way. There's many things we don't know how to deal with. There's questions people ask us, which literally stump us and we have no answer for because we haven't journeyed through those things yet. There's areas of grace and tolerance in our hearts that haven't been developed yet because they haven't been challenged yet. And the point is that we have a choice. We can either stay where we are, very grateful that we are saved by Jesus and one day we'll go to heaven, hallelujah, I've got my ticket. Or we can actually press on with God and take on and, and continue to seek him through the things that happen in our lives, through the relationships that we have, learning his heart in different settings and circumstances of how we can pray, how we can reflect him, how we can demonstrate his love to those around us. And in so doing, have our character developed into his likeness. Now, the scripture also goes on further. It talks about coming into maturity. Why? So that we are ultimately, that through faith and patience, we can inherit the promises of God. So perfect or mature faith, therefore, is able to lay hold of the promises of God, not just salvation, but all the promises of God. Just think very, very practically with me for a moment. God intends for us to enter into the fullness of his promises. Would he otherwise have given? Them? He makes promises with the full intention of delivering on those promises. He makes promises as an invitation to call us up into a way of life and a way of thinking that is beyond this natural world. 
And the life of faith, the journey of faith, is one whereby we learn and we grow in our ability to believe the promises of God, to receive all that God has promised us through Christ Jesus, and to walk it out by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and so what we're talking about really tonight is spiritual maturity. You know full well there's a big difference between, just in the natural, between an infant and an adult. Infants depend on others. They are utterly dependent on others. And even as they grow into toddler state, they are primarily concerned about themselves, right? That is the essence of immaturity. Immature people are only concerned about themselves having their own needs met. And the irony is they look to everybody around them to meet those needs. And so they're, 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 they're hard work. I know, I've got two little girls. They're hard work. Um, thankfully, I have a wonderful wife who, take, who bears most of the burden on that. I have to be honest and give credit, credit, credit where it's due. But the spiritual infants or spiritual toddlers or little new believers are in the same way very often self-centered. It's still very much about what Jesus can do for me and getting me to heaven and good for me. And they're also very much reliant on the faith of others for their spiritual well-being. And the sad reality is... In the same way that in the natural, there are some people probably that you know that no matter the fact that they've gotten older, they have not grown up. They're as immature, they're as selfish, they're as insecure as they have been all along. Mature people, on the other hand, uh, understand that their entire world, I love this phrase, I, I can't remember where I got it from, but I love it. They, they understand that the entire world, apart from one small exception, is made up of others. <laughs> And that life comes with responsibility. And so they're not just focused upon themselves and having their own needs met. They're not insecure. They are whole. They, they have a good understanding of their own inherent worth and value in Christ Jesus. They know the difference between what is right and wrong, good and bad. Not just for themselves, but the impact that their decisions have on others. That's a mark of maturity. Mature people will often deny personal pleasure or convenience because they understand what that might mean for others. And they have, a, they have proven that what I love about somebody who's mature is they have proven the life transforming power of the word of God for themselves as they are led by the Holy Spirit. In other words, they've worked at their faith, they've changed, they've grown, they've learned along the way. And the Apostle Paul, as we can see, yoked spiritual immaturity with selfishness and carnality. He writes to the church in Corinth, which was a mess. They were a gifted bunch, but relationally they were a big mess. And he says to them in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 to 3, I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able, for you are still carnal. Carnal means fleshly. You're still governed by your flesh, your desires, your sensual, your senses. For where envy, strife, divisions are among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? I love that. In other words, Paul is expecting us to go beyond living like mere men. Envy, strife, and divisions are the fruit of pride and of selfishness. I want my way. No, I need to be recognized. No, me, not you. You understand what I'm talking about. And carnal believers are those who've not yet learned how to be led by the Holy Spirit. They're still led by their senses. They still very much 
oh, that's not fair. How come so-and-so got that treatment and I got this treatment? Uh, and and, and they, they've not matured beyond that yet. And I want to read you a few scriptures now that really emphasize the point that God doesn't want us to remain just as babies. Babies are lovable. It's wonderful to have a relationship with a child, okay? Not just babies, but children. Children are a blessing. And God delights in children. He delights in childlike faith. But children cannot go to war. Children are not influential in governmental matters. They are immature. They are ignorant. They, are, they haven't developed levels of wisdom and understanding yet. And so the truth is, folks, God's calling us not just in a natural way, but in a spiritual way to move beyond just the simple foundational things and to press in to lay hold of deeper spiritual truths that have greater impact, not just for your life and mine, but for the areas and the spheres in which God has placed us and given us influence. God desires that each one of us grow into maturity. And what that really means is into the likeness of his son. Listen to some of these scriptures. Philippians 3 verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Psalm 138 verse 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. So in other words, they will perfect it. In other words, it's not perfected yet. It hasn't come to maturity yet. But God's working with me. He's working in me. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And finally, Philippians 1 verse 6, I'll read this from the Amplified. It says, I am convinced and confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue to perfect and complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, the time of his return. When we give our hearts to Jesus, when we are saved and baptized or born again, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that's not the end of the road. That's, that's just the foyer. You've come through the door. You've received your welcome package. Now it's time to go and enjoy. It's not like that's it. You've now arrived. And that's just the beginning. So the process of growing from immaturity to maturity has to do very much also with the shifting of our dependency. In a natural sense, it means that our dependency shifts from others to ourselves. As we grow older, we're less reliant on others and we become more self-reliant or independent. But in a spiritual sense, you see, dependency, our need for people, our need for things, our need doesn't actually go away as we grow older. We just learn how to meet those needs. My need for food doesn't go away. It grows. Um, but I've learned how to meet that need as an adult. I'm not looking to other people to meet that need for me. But I still have the need. Spiritual needs, emotional needs, relational needs are the same. They don't go away when we grow older. We just learn how to meet those needs. Now, in a spiritual sense of spiritual maturity and our relationship with God, it means that our dependency for these things shifts from others, but not to ourselves because we can't meet those needs. 
it shifts over to God. We learn to trust completely in his word and be led by his Holy Spirit. It's amazing that spiritually mature people are not those who no longer need God to do things for them. It's those who have learned to lean on God to do things for them. Their faith has come to a place of maturity in that their dependence on God, their conviction on his, of his promises and his faithfulness is so strong that they, their lives are built on it. And the evidence and the fruit of that is seen in their lives. That could be for provision, for example. It could be for grace. It could be for, for, for healing, for whatever. But it's come to a place where their, their dependency has, has been solidified and is unshakable. And Jeremiah says this, 17 verses 5 to 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Let me just, I want to just throw something in here from far left field. When God made Adam and Eve in the garden, all right, it says he created them, he blessed them, and he commissioned them. When they sinned, what was withdrawn from them was the presence of God. The presence of God and the blessing of God are synonymous. Where God's presence is, there his blessing is. And where God withholds his presence, his blessing cannot flow. So what we see in the Garden of Eden is that, that what we see even through Jesus is he paid the price so that his spirit and his blessing could come upon us again. So that we can work with the Holy Spirit and work in a place where God's favor goes with us. Where the things in the world around us, instead of working against us, it seems like they're working for us. Okay? That's what favor looks like and what the blessing of God looks like. So when we come with that understanding and we come into this portion of Scripture, even though it's old covenant, it's just as true. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. In other words, God's pre he's not looking to God's presence, so God's blessing cannot flow in his life. Whose heart departs from the Lord. He shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. But shall, it doesn't say that good won't come. It says he was so dull he won't be able to see it. And shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land that is not inhabited. But the opposite is true. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by the, by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. In other words, when trials and difficult situations come, he won't fear. He's not afraid. But his leaf will be green, and he will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will he cease from yielding fruit. That is the picture of somebody who's trusting in God, whose dependency has been put in the right place as a mark of true and genuine maturity. True and genuine faith has abandoned self-reliance. Do you understand? Do you understand the principle I'm communicating now? True and genuine faith. No, it's no longer looking to myself to meet these needs. I'm no longer to, trying to live a life, a life that is good enough to please God. I'm not trying to not do things and I'm not trying to do things to appease God. But my faith has come to a point where I have received the grace, the righteousness, the forgiveness of, of God because of what Jesus has done. If I get no credit, I get no glory. It's all because of him. And that same principle works itself out for every one of God's promises to you and to me. Promises of grace, promises of peace, promises of patience, promises of provision and healing. 
where I have learned to rely and depend on God. That's where my faith has come to maturity and it's bearing fruit. So let's, since we're talking about fruit, let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 to 25 lists them. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's what we were talking about in baptism. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, it's very interesting. When you read that portion of Scripture, you will see that it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the word Spirit has a capital letter. That's actually, in the New King James, a mistranslation. Because the fruit of the Spirit they're speaking about there is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit, as in the person of the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of the recreated human spirit. In other words, it's the evidence that the Spirit of God dwells within you. How do we know that you are a believer? By how you live. We will see the fruit of God's presence in your life. <clears throat> it serves as evidence of a deep work that's taking place internally. And again, we see Jesus saying something similar. Luke 6, 43 to 45. For a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, this passage is painting a picture for us of a storehouse or a reservoir within us, within our hearts. And the, the, the importance of the message that we really need to catch tonight is that we are the custodians of the storehouse of our heart. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. In other words, we are responsible not just for what goes out, but for what goes in. What comes out is automatic. How many of you have been put in situations where what comes out automatically is perhaps not something that you would have wanted to come out? You know what they say about, you know, give people a fright. People sometimes do that. They gave me a, give me a fright. When I don't swear, they go, oh, thank goodness that was a test. You know, just I'm glad you didn't swear there. They don't know what I was muttering under my breath. Yes, mate. But anyway, uh, the, the point is, the point is you can't always control what comes out, but you can control what what is put in. I mean, yes, you can control what comes out. Let me not preach a wrong message. But what comes out and what comes out naturally is going to be the overflow of what you have been putting in. You know, like they say, you are what you eat. But all I eat is hot dogs. It doesn't mean I'm going to turn into a hot dog. It means I'm going to have poor health. I'm going to have problems in my digestive system and fatigue and all kinds of deficiencies in my life. Likewise, spiritually, if all I'm putting in is garbage, like a computer, garbage in, garbage out. Let's carry on. As believers, it's our responsibility to ensure what we fill our hearts and our thoughts with. Okay. We understand that man is a three-part being. We've covered this already. Spirit, soul, and body. And when we are born again, 
our spirit, our, our spirit man, who we really are, is recreated in the image and the likeness of Christ. We have communion and intimacy with God. We can relate to him and hear his voice. Our soul, however, which is made up of our mind, our thoughts, our will, our desires and intentions, and our emotions, how we feel about things, as well as our body, need to go through a process of purification. We all know, and uh, I'm sure none of you will be surprised to know, to hear, that uh, although our spirit man is recreated, there's some other stuff we still grapple with on an everyday basis, and that is our soul. That's the, that's the, 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 the things we experience in our carnal physical body as well. And the process of bringing maturity in those areas of our lives is called sanctification. Now, the word sanctification, there's a whole lesson. I've done a whole lesson on this in the um, uh, discipleship course. But just to, to touch on a few things to convey the message of what sanctification all, is all about. It means to set apart for sacred use. And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a good analogy in this. This coffee mug, okay, we can say, I can say this coffee mug is mine. And I'm now going to put it down and say this coffee mug is now set apart. But what for? Is it just there as an ornament? Is it, is it, does it now belong to somebody? Or is it just a random thing sitting on my laptop getting in the way? However, if I was to say this coffee mug is now being given to you for this specific purpose, it's not just about the fact that I'm set apart. It's that I'm set apart unto something. Set apart from my old life. Remember this, we covered, we covered this in, in baptism, if I'm not mistaken. Set apart from to. And it is to make holy or to purify. So, and, and to make productive for holiness and spiritual blessing. So here's some scriptures about sanctification. Paul writes in Ephesians, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And I'm going to read this from the Amplified Bible. He says, I appeal to you, brethren. And beg of you, in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies. Presenting, and I want you to just underline that word presenting. Presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable or rational or intelligent service and spirit of spiritual worship. We see the same kind of message coming through in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 13. Do not present, there it is again, underline it again, your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present, underline again, your members or yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This idea of presenting is like an employee coming into the boss's office and saying, hey, boss, what do you want me to do today? It's like somebody coming up to, the, to, to his sergeant and saying, I'm reporting for duty. What do you have for me today? I am presenting myself for instruction. And it, what it has to do with at a base level is to say, who am I submitting my life to? Am I submitting my life, my will, my desires, my opinions, my options to God? Or am I submitting those to the world around me, to my own opinions, to other people, to live for myself and all these kinds of things? You see, Paul is saying here, for sanctification, for maturity to take place, we need to deliberately, this doesn't happen by accident, 
present ourselves to God and say, here I am, Lord, use me, speak to me, lead me, guide me. We see the same thing happen. So, so in other words, not presenting our bodies as instruments for sin, but as instruments of righteousness, even in our thoughts and our will. Romans 12 verse 2 goes on to say from the Amplified, do not be conformed to this age fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. In other words, don't think like this world thinks. Don't value and prioritize according to the same measurements that this world does. But be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude. And I love this, so that you may prove. That is incredibly powerful. God desires that we prove him in his word. You know, it's even I'm reminded of Malachi when he talks about tithing. God says, try me now in this and see if I will not pour out for you a blessing. When God gives us a promise, he, he desires for us to believe that promise, act that promise on that promise, and in so doing, prove that he is good, that he is faithful, and that he always backs up his word. So that you may prove for yourselves, not just take somebody else's word for it, but experience the goodness of God in and for yourself, in your own life. What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you? Man, that is beautiful. That is so powerful. That God wants us to go beyond having a faith that is sort of ethereal in sort of, okay, acknowledging God and maybe even acknowledging his, period, his presence taking it into a deeply and a fiercely practical place where his promises become reality, not just one day in the great by and by, but as we apply them every single day and see him working in our situations and produce fruit for you. And again, this is our responsibility. Now, God helps us in this. God's not sitting there waiting with a stick and going, oh, you didn't meet this, this deadline or you didn't to achieve well enough in that no, God wants to work with us. And it's through our relationship with God as we journey through life, as we endeavor to apply his word, that the stuff becomes life and life to us. And I want to confess to you tonight, there are many times in my journey where I've fallen on my face in my faith, in my expectations. I've been caught up in frustrations, sometimes even frustrated with God. All of these things and these wrestlings if we allow God to work in us, bring us to a place of different realizations, of greater maturity, of seeing things from a different perspective, bringing a new wholeness. Um, the, the, the Hebrew way, even of just looking at scripture, was to compare it to a diamond, this beautifully cut diamond. And every time you, the, the, you turn this flawless diamond, it reflects the light in a slightly different way, and you see a different facet and a different angle. And it's the same diamond, but you, every time you move it just a little bit, it's like looking at something brand new and you see something different. And that's what happens in our lives when we give ourselves to this in terms of our study of the word, but also in terms of just working through life with a realization of God's nearness and an openness of heart for him to lead us in all things along the way as we journey. And so now we're getting to talking about the importance of studying the word. Uh, and we're going to round out basically on this note. I've just given you an analogy about the diamond. 
But God makes some beautiful and very powerful promises to those who will give themselves to the study of his word. In other words, not just rest in what they know, but progress. Psalm 1 verse 1 to 3 says this. Blessed, and now we also have a better understanding of what that word means. Blessed, in other words, my favor and my presence is with the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. In other words, he has given himself to the word of God, to study it, to think about it, to ponder on it. Again, we have this analogy of the tree planted by the rivers of living water or the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Whatever he does shall prosper. That's incredible. In other words, you will succeed in the things that you're trying to do as you are led by God. Excuse me, as you apply his word. Joshua 1 verse 8 paints a very similar picture. God said to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. In other words, again, give your mind to this. That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. So apply it in your life. And then he makes this promise. Then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. That is a promise from God. I think very, on, very, very often we're, we're scared to say, wow, but that's that, you know, everything. Does, you know what? You are God's child, believer. I do not want, I, I, I'm a natural dad. The last thing I want is for my children to fail. I want to create every opportunity I can for them to succeed. And some, some financially can do that better than others. You know, some can lay up more for their children and they go to better schools. But every parent, regardless of where you are across the spectrum, financially, culturally, you want the best for your children. Any good parent does. And you want your children to take you at your word. That when you say you will do something, you will see it through. I want to say, where do we get that from? We get that from God. God desires for you and us to grow in our knowledge of him through which comes blessing and prosperity, and grace, and peace, that we can live life on this earth with a taste of heaven on our tongues, knowing the goodness of God in an experiential way. The principle is this, that the measure and thought of thought and study that you and I give to the word of God determines the level of revelation knowledge, and thereby faith that you and I receive to walk in the promises of God. Mark 4.24 says it this way in the Amplified again. Be careful what you are hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. And more besides will be given to you who hear. So in other words, those who hear, what is he talking about? Those who listen and apply and continue to see will get even more. Because that we, by demonstration of our pursuit, God rewards the, the consistency. Proverbs 4, 20 to 22. My son, you can just hear the heart of a father here. Give attention to my words. Listen to what I'm trying to say to you now. Philip, how many times has your mom sat you on, on the bed and said, my boy, just listen to me. Man. Your thinking is skewed. 
I want to bring you into something better. And you're like, yeah, Ma, listen, you're still, a, you're still a few years away from knowing your mama was always right. We don't want to admit that. And thank goodness my mom's not online now, but, but she knows. She knows she was always right. Son, give attention to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Listen. Pay attention right now. Don't let these things depart from your eyes, but keep them in the midst of your heart. Don't forget. These things are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Wow. You see, that's the relationship God wants to have with you and I. This deep relationship of putting into our lives the words of life, of grace, of blessing. And the spiritual principle is this. You become what you consistently behold. If you consistently give your heart and your attention to trash, you're going to be thinking trash. You know, you've heard the expression, get your mind out of the gutter. How did it get there in the first place? You filled it with stuff from the gutter. And, and so let's, let's kind of conclude this and then we can maybe just have a bit of a chat about some of these things. Our effectiveness as ambassadors of Christ. And you can see there, we're kind of already moving on to another dimension here. A, a lot of this course has been aimed at you, God's love for you, his salvation for you, being born again, being a new creation into his kingdom it, and, and, and receiving the Holy Spirit. But the purpose of that is so that you and I can conform to his image, that we may be ambassadors going out into this world to accurately represent him, not as children anymore, but as those who are walking in and have tasted the grace the blessing, the empowerment of God, and are going not just in their own strength, but with the backing of all of heaven behind them. So our effectiveness as Christ's ambassadors in this world is dependent upon our level of sanctification, our level of spiritual maturity, and our ability to be led by the Holy Spirit. Those kinds of those are kind of all synonymous, even though they are all different. The phrase onto perfection sums up the believer's life journey. From the place of brokenness and separation from God to a position of wholeness and maturity where the fullness of the divine inheritance that God has for each of his sons and daughters is realized and manifested both in and through his or her life. This quote, I heard it once and I don't know who the author was, but it really left a big mark on my life. He said, Jesus didn't come to make a better you. And I think so much of what we see even in many churches today, it's self-help stuff. It's live your best life now. It celebrates individuality and independence. He says, Jesus didn't come to make a better you. He came to make you like him. Because this world doesn't need a better you. This world needs more of him. Isn't that beautiful? And the place of coming to perfection, coming to wholeness, coming to maturity, means to come into the likeness of the one who is whole in and of himself, who is utterly mature, is not insecure or dependent on anyone. And as we come into the likeness of him, we can demonstrate what he is like. So with these teachings in place, you and I, brethren, stand on the threshold of the greatest adventure and the greatest journey that life has to offer. Revealing and demonstrating the love of God through word and deed to a lost and hurting world. To get to know God, to enjoy him forever. 
And so really, this, this idea of going on to perfection, I think we understand tonight that it's not about being holier than thou. It's not to live a life that is free from sin, although it would include that as a natural byproduct. It's not about just getting rid of the bad things or just being a goody two-shoes. It's about coming to a maturity of faith where we get to experience the fullness of our salvation. Let me read you in closing a couple of scriptures tonight. They're not in your notes. You're welcome to jot them down. It comes from uh, the book of Ephesians. And they are prayers that Paul prays for the, book, for, for, the, for the church in Ephesus. The first one comes from Ephesians chapter 1, from verse 17. And this is what Paul prays. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his call of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards you who believe. Again, in chapter 3, from verse 14, he prays, or list 16, he prays that, uh, that God would grant you, according to the riches of his mercy, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ would dwell in your heart through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, depth, length, and height to know the love of God which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, God didn't make you and I promises so that they could sit up on a shelf and we could admire them. It's not like your mother's favorite china that sits there that nobody's allowed to use in case they break it. Smiling, you guys have all got your mom's. You've all got something in your house that no one's allowed to touch. It's just in case you that's not what God's promises are like. God's promises are in the drawer, ready to be used, waiting for us to learn how to use them and to walk in. And I really pray that, that what I've conveyed to you tonight is, is a deep desire to say, Lord God, I want to move on with you. Maybe you've been stuck for a while, maybe you've been stuck in a place of immaturity. Maybe you're still very focused on just yourself and your salvation and, and the things that you are struggling with. That's okay when, you're, when, when, we're, when we are immature. None of us get to maturity overnight, and you need to work through those things with God. But no matter where we are, the truth is that God desires more, not only from us, but more for us, to bring us into greater measures of his love, of his grace, of his blessing, through our understanding of the word, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, that we will not be like little children, but that we will grow into maturity and become influential disciples in and for the kingdom of God. Amen. So before we take any questions, I just want to pray over you all tonight. Father, I want to thank you for the word that has gone forth this evening. For those who are listening on screen and for those who will catch up later, I want to bless you and thank you for every single life that is exceedingly precious in your eyes. I want to thank you for the calling and the destiny that you have placed on every one of our lives, for the good works that you have prepared for us beforehand that we may walk in them. And Lord, I, know, I want to thank you that you meet us where we are. There is no place that you have not stooped to. You've stooped right down to the cross, and from there you stooped right down to hell to raise us up to where you are as we celebrate even your ascension today, seated at the right hand of God. Lord, I want to thank you that you are wooing us all up to where you are. 
to your heart of love, your heart of compassion and grace, your heart of power and of purpose. And my prayer tonight, Lord God, is that as we've heard these things, Lord, that you would move in our hearts to bring us and to take us beyond where we have been. Maybe we've been camping beyond our, the offenses and the, the, the unforgiveness that we've been struggling with, beyond the anxieties and the fears that we've been grappling with, and into the fullness of the liberty of the Holy Spirit as we allow you to lead us in thought, in word, and in deed. Give us your grace, I pray, Father God, to put first things first. To even as the scriptures say, Lord God, spend our days meditating on your words and on your instructions to our hearts, that we may walk in them and experience and see for ourselves the good and the perfect and the acceptable will of God for each and every one of us. So God, I want to thank you that you've not just called us to apathy, but you've called us to life and to co-laboring with you in building your kingdom. Thank you that your grace rests upon us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit resting upon us. And I thank you that you've given us the ability to follow and to be led by you. May your grace flow abundantly in this area over each and every one. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.